Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. Y'all know I love me some good tea and Dr. Marielle Bouquet spills the tea all the time on her social media platform, on Instagram, on TikTok, all about the truth and myths about mental health and trauma. She was trained at Columbia University um, in as a psychologist and intergenerational trauma expert. She provides wellness workshops for mental health and is the author of the upcoming book, Break the Cycle, a book focused on healing intergenerational trauma. You may find her work at www.drmariellebouquet.com and on social media at Bouquet. It was such a pleasure. I even sent her my favorite tea so we can drink tea together on the show, Spill the Tea on Trauma. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. I got to tell you, I'm super pumped about this person's energy and also we're so connected on such a deep level because we both love tea. Um, now, you might be laughing, but on uh, <laughs> Dr. Marielle Bouquet's beautiful platform, she always is like Thank spilling you. the tea or therapy with tea, and it's always this cutesy thing, but I find it awesome because tea's awesome, but also uh, it just creates this warmth uh, mm-hmm. in the conversation. So before I get into it, if you can just introduce yourself quickly to the listeners so we can get a feel of who you are, and we'll go right into this awesome conversation. Yes, yes. I'm so excited to be in conversation with you and and to, you know, just dive into some things with you. And my name is Dr. Mario Bouquet. I'm a psychologist and I am also an intergenerational trauma expert. And I love spilling tea and giving nuggets of wisdom from a very unfiltered place so that people can just have the real deal. Um, so um, a lot of the work that I produce has been through social media, although I have a, a book coming out called break the cycle in a couple months and and also um just a lot of work around healing trauma and healing relationships and how we can get in this generation to a better place so that we can see the next generation just really be in an emotional place that's a little more healthy than ours Ooh, i love that and i love like the rawness of things that you talk about because it's super important but first question is what got you into this world of mental health because we all have a journey that gets us here and uh, I always love asking professionals, uh, especially mental health professionals, like what brought them to the place that they're now doing the work that they do every day? Mm, I love that question. You know, I think it's pretty layered for me uh, because I do believe that um, this work kind of found me. And I know that sounds like really fluffy and manifestation-y, <laughs> but, um, but it's, it's true. You know, I, when I was in my previous career in advertising, I was actually... Um, volunteering because I just didn't find a lot of like, it, it, it didn't feel like I, I felt very connected to my work in advertising. It just felt like just a monetized type of field, very capitalistic. And I would, in, I would just take the weekends to volunteer mostly in my community of Newark, New Jersey. And the volunteer work started looking more and more like mental health volunteering. Like I just started veering in that direction with the agency that I was working with. And then I started thinking, I, I want to do this. Like, I just want to do this. Um, At the same time, I was actually seeing a therapist for the first time in my life. And I'm talking late twenties. And um, 
that therapist said, you know, you'd make a good therapist. You should consider this career. So it literally in the very same week, all those two messages just synergized. Um, And I thought, okay, I have to do this. And it was the scariest thing. I remember I had a panic attack for like a month, (laughs) but I think that panic attack was just like, you know, when you're in a comfortable place, you're usually not experiencing the uncomfortable feelings. But if you're moving and shifting yourself, then it is very likely that you're going to be experiencing discomfort. And and I I definitely had that, but what a wonderful decision I made. I, I could have never picked a better career than where I am now. I love helping folks in this way. So I feel like I landed in a, in a good place. Uh, I love, I love that answer. Cause I feel the same way. There are only a few things in my life that I feel so aligned in mm-hmm. and, you know, being married to my wonderful wife and my family is one of them doing what mm-hmm. I do every day is another one. And it's just something that it doesn't mean it's easy and it gets very hard at times as a therapist to show up for your, your people, um, to help the people in the way that they need, not what you need and all these different, like, you know, complexities. But at the end of the day, I, I wouldn't do anything else. Literally mm-hmm. would not do anything else. So yeah. I love that you found that for yourself. Cause it's so interesting when you finally get there and it's so beautiful and, and it being your second career. So wait, so that's why you have the secret advertising secret of like social media, <laughs> you know, you know, the secrets behind it. That's why, but how is it for you putting yourself out there so raw and honestly on social media? What has been that experience for you to be that person that people go to or look at? Like I said before talking that when I Google top social media therapists, you're on most of the lists that I found to, to bring on the show and be like, oh, I'll follow them. I'll look into them. Let me see what they're all about. Mm-hmm. Does that create pressure in your content or does it create like cool opportunities? What has been your experience in that way? It's definitely been a blend. I think there is a lot more reward than there is um, the experience of, um, you know, the pressure or other kinds of emotional experiences that come from being in these spaces. So I I have realized more recently that I do have a little bit of that marketer brain that operates, you know, within my content at all times. And I, I don't think I was giving that enough credit, but um, it, I think that the ways in which it's opened opportunities mostly for me has been from when I've shown up in this work from a really authentic place. Like I call it my sauce. Like I show up and I'm just myself and I, I, I believe I'm funny. So I think I'm funny. I, I can, you know, infuse humor into a lot of things. I used to use humor actually as a psychological defense. I used to be funny just to not feel. Mm -hmm. And now of course I know better than to, you know, elicit humor as a psychological defense at all times. But I now elicit it just as a way to be in my joy, especially with this very heavy work. Um, And when I started showing up that way, very authentically in this work, Mm -hmm. I feel like the partnerships and marketing, you know, connections started burgeoning a lot more because I think people really saw that. Yeah. That, that's someone, someone recently was, uh, I've been afraid to get on TikTok because <laughs> like, I just, I just not my vibe of like the whole dancing pointing very like, it's just not my thing. I have no rhythm, yeah. but I, I dance like with my daughter, <laughs> with my wife, my mm-hmm. wife's got the rhythm. I have no rhythm. You know, like it's like that person who sings in the shower, right? Like that's my vibe for dancing. Um, they yeah. can sing. <laughs> yeah. Like, so like maybe I twerk, maybe I don't, but like, it's just like not my thing, but I have a lot of energy, but someone's like, just go on and talk, be yourself, 
Don't try to be the other Instagram person or the TikTok person who's trying to point and do and dance and be cutesy and show off this body part and Mm -hmm. do this thing with their... Like, I don't know if anyone wants to see me wearing like a crop top and dancing around. Like, I don't think that's people's vibe. Um, (laughs) You do you. But what I'm saying Mm -hmm. is that it's so amazing when you see someone on social media be themselves. And like I said before, with that spilling the tea, all that stuff, there's so much warmth and real... Like, it just... It's you. And I feel like people get to know you then. and. When that happens, how has that been for your practice, creating those boundaries for yourself to not post so much where it's a burden as well as show up for you and your content and your practice? How do you balance all that? Mm -hmm. That's actually the hardest part, I will say, for me. And I think um, a lot of us individuals that are the quote unquote creators of like mental health content that are out there. Um, I'm sure you can resonate with this as well. It, it creating that balance, to be frank, I think it's like a daily task. Like it's, it looks very different every single day. Um, many of us have established concrete boundaries around the week, but the reality of it is that, especially as you grow and as you grow in partnerships, there are demands upon you and your time that sometimes span out of your own boundaries, your professional boundaries that you've created. So the ways that I've gotten around that is by infusing self-care and wellness and holistic wellness into almost everything that I do. So my day is literally a self-care day. So of course it helps that I do self-care content, right? But I, um, you know, I'll wake up with affirmations and and mental, right? Like I don't go and write, that hasn't worked out for me. So I just do it mentally. When I'm making my tea for tea time, actually, as soon as I turn off the camera after I've made the tea and done the tea thing, I sip my tea and I actually take a moment. You know, so it's like little things that I do throughout the day to make sure that I'm also taking care of myself because the demand can sometimes feel like a lot and like it's not, I'm, I'm not able to really kind of get ahead of it. Um, but I'm also super grateful that it my life actually looks like this. So there's mm-hmm. also, even though it's a lot of work, um, there's so much gratitude in the fact that I get to do work that reaches more people, more communities, that sometimes that lifts me, that alone, you know, kind of like gives me that that extra nudge of joy that makes the work a little bit easier. Yeah, and last last personal question about your involvement on social media, then we'll get into the whole beautiful topic of trauma and generational mm-hmm. trauma. Um, has it been weird that when you start getting into this bigger world of social media, when uh, you just have normal interactions with friends, or maybe you're at an event, or you're speaking, or whatever, normal life that you now have created for yourself, mm-hmm. do people assume that you're not turning off the therapist? Like, and they go, oh gosh, I, I, I hope I said the right, oh, ooh, like I, I get that sometimes. Like as a therapist, someone's uh-huh. like, are you therapizing me right now? And I'm like, yeah. no, no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just talking to you, right? I'm not. So have you, have you had that find like, uh, figure out or people realize that you're just a person as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a toughie. I mean, I think, um, I've been experiencing that ever since I was still a student, um, when I was a student, I'm in New York, right? So I'm meeting people all the time. New York, 
can be a very social space, right? If you make it right. So I, I would try to infuse at least like one or two hours of like social time in my week as much as I could. When I did that, I always got that statement. Are you reading my mind? And I would say, I'm not a psychic, I'm a psychologist, very different. <laughs> um, and I don't even know if psychics read mind, but, but just kind of, you know, see into things. Um, but at, right now, I think the ways that it shows up is that um, there is a little bit of a way in which people kind of always want to deposit their stories, which I am a holder of stories and I love the work that I do. But I think at this level and holding across all platforms, I'm like at like 700,000 followers holding that many stories and the number of DMs that I get, the number of stories that I get in comments, people email me their stories without consent. And I think that that piece is always like, I'm not a therapist that can advise you in your own personal journey. I'm just spreading mental health information out there. So yeah. I think that there's that piece that is the, very prominent for me. I love that. And that's why it's so important to have those boundaries. So let's jump in right to mm-hmm. you're working on something. And when the episode comes out in August, uh, it's going to come out a couple weeks later about this idea of the science of trauma, right? That's your, your course on trauma and relationships. And I love that so much. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, you know, since Bessel van der Kolk, right? And all the research yes. done by like when the body keeps a score, there are not a lot of stuff out there to really understand more about trauma and it's so complex mm-hmm. than just that book that everyone reads or pushes as a therapist but <laughs> yeah. i just i just want to start with the question because i we've been hearing this often the past couple of years that triggers me right i'm triggered i wanted to start with when it comes to trauma specifically what does it mean when someone is triggered can we help mm-hmm. the people who don't know what that means or use that word without knowledge of what that means to explain mm-hmm. to someone else when someone says hey that really triggered my my mental health that really triggered me and not look at it as a weakness of like oh you're just being so soft but mm-hmm. really what it actually means from a mental health perspective yeah you know people always want to know um how something that is psychological can be interpreted physically. And this is a great opportunity that we have to actually do that because when we get triggered, really a lot of what is happening is that our nervous system is coming into a state of fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. For those who aren't familiar, it's just really kind of a state where it feels like there is a present threat. And so your nervous system has specific reactions um, that it has. And externally, right? Like, or more like in our conscious mind and what we see happening is that we're feeling tense or on edge or anxious, or um, we're feeling like we're shutting down and we can't engage. All of those things are all facets of when the nervous system enters that fight or flight response. And usually what is happening is that there is an element of some sort of a wound that has happened in the past that is being re-energized in the present and mostly in the body, which is why the body keeps the score. Vessel van der Kolk's book is just, it was such a, a monumental book in helping us understand like, hey, I know that you think that a lot of what's happening to you psychologically is in your mind, but quite frankly, most of it is really happening in your body. And a lot of it is happening in your nervous system, especially when you're getting triggered. 
Yeah, and, and I love that so much because I love how you said that the image or the idea gets pulled into today. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the work that I do now, I'm certified in TFCBT and trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. And I, and I can say this out loud. I love working with trauma. There's a weird thing to say out loud, mm-hmm. like, but I think therapists understand that. Like, yeah, like it's yeah. just a joy of mine to help someone heal and move through the trauma. And something mm-hmm. that I want to ask you as a, you know, an expert and a professional is people think that when they come to a professional that they're going to fix the trauma. Can you talk about what trauma work actually helps someone do and the healing? And I recently posted something about the loneliness of healing. I love that post. It like almost brought me mm. to tears. It was such mm. a powerful post. But that idea of what it actually means to heal and move through trauma in a professional mental health perspective. Mm-hmm. Moving through trauma is really having a person live with their history in a way that where it feels tolerable and it doesn't hinder their life. So in like the psychological world and these clinical meetings, we start talking about like the word function, right? Like how are they functioning in their day-to-day life? How is the trauma impacting them, right? For a lot of people, trauma can be very debilitating, um, especially early childhood trauma, right? Whenever people are carrying that for such a long time that they're carrying weight that just continues to accumulate throughout life. And so a lot of what we're doing is that we're developing a new way for you to exist in your mind and body and in your spirit that allows you to be settled, to be well, and to transition into all of the areas of your life with a new sense of empowerment. It's not deleting the trauma, eradicating it, doing away with it. It will still be a part of your journey and a part of your history. However, there is a different way in which you can relate to your trauma. And that's a lot of what the trauma work really centers on. I love that because you know, I, I use this metaphor because, you know, as a therapist, we have to have metaphors. Um, the idea of like a hook that's inside a fish. And when you pull it out mm-hmm. and you cut the cord of that yes. of that fish, the fish now can be free. The hook might st- still be in there or the hook's out and there's now a scar. But mm-hmm. the fish can go on with its life and move forward and through the water, uh, mm-hmm. hopefully not caught, right? Because we're not talking about that. We're talking about mm-hmm. moving forward. And I, for me, as a, as a trauma therapist as well, it's about cutting that wire so you can continue and not keep being pulled like the hook, like trying to catch something, as well as the scar still there. So you know, you can, you can see it. It's here. And it might get rubbed or like something might irritate it. That's my view of trigger. Like when you get, when the when the scar gets irritated and it starts to bleed a little yeah. bit, or it gets ooh ooh that hurt. Like oh, it reminds mm-hmm. me of a scar. I have a scar on my knee from something that happened was when I was a kid. I look at it and I remember the story. I don't remember the pain anymore or the hurt. And it's very different than you know de- depth of trauma. But to me, people think that when they come to a therapist that you're going to just wipe it away, like that Men mm-hmm. in Black you know little <laughs> button, like erase my yeah. mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, with with uh, your work so so beautifully done and so well well versed in trauma um has there been something that in the beginning wor- worried you as a therapist or scared you as a therapist or freaked you out as a therapist to work with that now you uh understand better or know better as a as a as a trauma therapist mhm absolutely i mean a lot of the things that are trauma centered right um Believe it or not, uh, some of the systemic 
trauma was a little bit scary to me because I think I was feeling it a lot for the people that I was working with as well. Uh, so when people were coming in saying that they experienced racism, they experienced um, some sort of um, disregard for their humanity, it felt like such a big, big problem, big issue that knocked at their door that I, I didn't, I just felt so overwhelmed about how I could help. And that's one element of trauma, the collective trauma piece or the identity-based trauma that, you know, it continues to be like really hard because you really, you have to sit with your own discomfort as a clinician of how much you truly can't do for the larger issue for the people that are in front of you, but you have to just work with the person to help them through the, the remnants of that systemic situation right so that's one one element for sure that's always been really hard yeah i i, I have an intern that i'm wrapping up with actually today uh as my last mm. day work uh interning um supervising an intern sorry and mm. we were talking constantly about the clinical side of the limit that we have as professionals like when someone says you know i'm having such a hard time with my anxiety my depression trauma all these things that are healing journey um, and their living situation is terrible, and their monetary situation is terrible, and their relationship situation is terrible, and all these complexities that are so – you're limited as a professional. You can't help everything and fix the systemic issue that is why they have a small apartment or why they don't have the job that would open doors. And it's so hard because you're sitting there seeing them crying in so much pain, and you just want to reach through and give them a hug or in their mm -hmm. office hold them. And say it's going to be okay, but it might not be, even mm -hmm. if the piece that you're they're there in your office for is worked through. Mm -hmm. And to understand that is sometimes very difficult as a young professional yeah, to, yeah. to not be able to. So for the yeah. advice for the young professionals coming up in the world, maybe listening to this and starting into that trauma world that's so complex, what's kind of that advice that you would for them to be patient or to, 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 to learn their limitations and be okay with it? Mm, wow, what a beautiful question. Um, so, you know, a, a big part of what happens in that interchange is that we are uncomfortable ourselves, right? So I think it, my best advice would be, you know, one time I, I had a, some, we have the, like the ceremony at, at my school when I was still a student. And I remember there was an elder, we called them, you know, people that have been in the field for like 30 years and they pass on this beautiful candle um, onto us with a word of wisdom. And what she said to me was that the people that came before her did some of the work, the people that are in her generation did some of the work and I will continue that process. And so that allowed me one to feel liberated from like feeling like I have to do it all, but just feeling like I can just do a few things within my generation and that will suffice. So one thing is to not carry, you know, the weight of the world on our shoulders, right? Like we must fix it. This is so unfair. Look at how my clients are suffering. That's one piece. And then the other piece is the discomfort piece, like really sitting with yourself. Um, and this is the internal work, right? We have to do the piece around awareness, which is a large part of the training that we receive as well. Being Becoming more aware of how we feel about these experiences, the larger experiences, and 
sitting with the discomfort ourselves of understanding that these inequities are happening around us and that we can't change them. Now for the client themselves in in terms of like helping the client, um, I think a large part of what we do to help a client within a system that we call a strong environment, like we do in dialectical behavioral therapy, Mm -hmm. um, if the environment is strong and they have to go back into that strong environment, then we strengthen the client, right? We empower mm-hmm. them and we give them the tools to show up differently in an environment that is immobile and is not changing. Mm-hmm. It's super important. A quick, quick uh, side question, and then we'll go into what you just talked about because it's super, super impactful to us. Uh, I was recently speaking to someone about trauma and you know, someone in their life is being impacted and uh, triggered or, or brought out in that day. And they said, like, why can't they just get over it or move forward? It happened 35 years ago. Mm. Isn't it enough time? Right? Isn't it enough time? And, uh, you know, there's something that an adage that's always like time heals all wounds. Mm. And, and I, I don't really like that so much because time's not doing anything. Time is passing. You're, if you're, if you're mm-hmm. not working on anything, it's just, it just this year to that year, it doesn't mean that anything's actually changing. What would you say to people who, who say a line like that? Like, it's been 30 years. Why are you still bringing this up? Why is it still impacting how you view your body? Why is it still uh, impacting how you interact with intimacy? Why is it still uh, mm-hmm. bothering you when it comes to how you view when I say talk to you and you feel attacked when my voice is calm? Relationship-wise, and we'll get into the generational stuff in a second. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that as, as, a, as a professional and your status to tell people and to educate people what it actually looks like in reality? Well, the person asking the question, I would say, is having some discomfort with being able to sit in that space with the person that is still experiencing the wound, right? And so a large part of where my curiosity leads me is like, What is making it so hard for this person to sit in that space of healing with someone that is taking 35 years to heal? And so um, what element of, you know, their experience uh, around, you know, being with someone that is wounded um, needs to be reconfigured and how can they, you know, sit with the discomfort of, of trauma? So that's a, a large part of it. I always get curious about that person, the one asking the question, right? Because yeah. we know that trauma can take, there are people that I, I actually have therapized who have come into my office at 74 years of age in their first session. And to me, I think that that is one of the deepest honors that I have ever experienced to have someone come into my office and say, I've lived with this my entire life. I could literally, you know, just stay with it or I can work on it and enliven my life a bit more for however long more I have to live. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Let's get into the, you know, another part of your, you know, your expertise, the generational trauma. And, you know, if you, if you look, there's a, a great therapist, Dr. Edith Egger, who wrote the book, The Gift and the Choice, talking about her experience with the Holocaust, her experience, and how she became a psychologist later on in life. And she started working on her stuff when she was in her 50s and 60s, like her mm. like her pain of what she went through. And uh, if you look at the, you know, the writings of Mark Wallen, it didn't start with you. Can you talk a little bit about what generational trauma actually means? Because I was with someone over a couple of weeks ago 
who I was saying so, oh, generational trauma, oh, generational trauma. And they just kept using it. And I'm like, you, you don't know what that means. You're not like, that's not mm-hmm. what this is. So can you first, before we get yeah. into anything else, explain what that term really means? Yes, absolutely. I know we decontextualize a lot of terms in, in society and in social media, so I'm happy to. So uh, intergenerational trauma is that very specific kind of trauma that runs through a person's lineage and community, and it does so in two distinct ways. One is through a biological transmission, which is uh, usually a genetic transmission. We call that uh, through epigenetics. So basically from parent to child, there is a way in which if the parent or grandparents had experienced chronic stress or chronic stressors in their lives, there are ways in which our genes or their genes had started to transmutate and express a certain way, um, which then creates an emotional vulnerability in the next generation because the gene, that genetic expression gets transmitted forward. So that's more of the biological component. But once a baby is born and it's earth side, right, we have the added piece of intergenerational trauma, which is how is a person socialized in their life? How is stress modulation managed and modeled in their lifetime and what other elements um, of life can actually contribute to a traumatic experience that they can have. Now they have this emotional vulnerability that comes from the biological piece. And then there's the social piece once they're born, where if they're in a home where there's a traumatized parent, there's a very likely chance that that parent that is in trauma could present as highly irritable, depressed, um, could, you know, maybe be abusive or neglectful. And all of those experiences are now the psychological piece of intergenerational trauma. So now we've transferred the trauma forward onto the child. When the child grows up, if they're not undoing some of those uh, traumatic responses and experiences, then they are very likely to transmit it forward to their children. And so the cycle yeah. continues. First of all, just from like a, a scientific perspective, the fact that biology can shift based on on stressors, I think mm-hmm. is just such a, a cool thing. And if you read Gabor Mate's book on ADHD, Scattered Minds, he talks mm-hmm. about his household not actively being stressful, but that he was picking up the vibrations of the stressful environment, which impacted him on a deep mm-hmm. level. And some and once I read that, I'm like, maybe I need to I need to pay attention to those smaller things, the the looks, the body language, all those things that create an environment. Not just do we have enough money, do we have enough food, do we have a house, mm-hmm. but just those small interactions on a day-to-day basis, how you share your love or withhold love, all these little things that are mm-hmm. very big in in what they do. And and what the second piece of, of the generational trauma is that concepts being passed down systems not changing or is it just that someone not just but is it that someone has trauma from their past and they are now because they haven't healed or worked through it their responses are now traumatizing you or is it something mixed matched and all in between yeah, it's because it's so nuanced and complex, it's a little bit of everything, right? Like I always like to say that it's, you know, it's the biology, right? Um, it's also the experiences that we have in our lifetime after our biology is initially formed. And then it's also the added piece of the culture, right? Like what is normalized within our cultures that then creates a perpetuation of trauma in a generation maybe 
once removed from ours or maybe even our generation, we had a normalization of a very harsh corporal punishment for children that, you know, stepped out of, you know, the, the expectations that parents had for them. Right. And we still, we still have a bit of that. Right. Like, but I think more so like to an extreme is what is more of what I'm talking about. The, the types of um, corporal punishment that can create very deep psychological wounding because it petrifies and terrorizes a child. Mm -hmm. And if that is a part of what is normalized as culture, you would have like, in, in some communities and in some cultures, really kind of globally, but like children could receive corporal punishment from a neighbor that caught them doing something that they shouldn't have been doing, right? And so you mm -hmm. had an entire community that could terrorize a child. Just watching. Right, watching. And, and a child would always be in that state of fear and terror, not knowing who is going to, you know, be the assailant, basically. And so the culture piece is really important because the more that we normalize ways of instilling trauma in humans, the more that those practices are going to be handed forward. So we have mm -hmm. all the pieces. It's very nuanced and it's very complex. Because to me, when I think of generational trauma, I think of like racism. I think like things being passed down of how a system can hurt and oppress something or somebody, mm -hmm. right? And and there, nothing has to be said. Mm -hmm. It's felt, right? Yeah, or yeah. the idea of, I know for me as an Orthodox Jew, if anti-Semitism starts picking up and we start mm -hmm. seeing swastikas and things like that and destruction of synagogues and, and, and things of that nature and shootings in religious uh, settings, it like a little like the hair on the back of my neck's like, oh God, is this going to happen? Like, are we, what, what mm -hmm. it's like? And I start getting worried because of the stories that mm -hmm. I was told, not that it's ever happened in my lifetime or my parents. Yeah, and yeah. other generational trauma I can think of is the normalization of how people run their household, mm -hmm. right? How the relationship between husband and wife is. Right, how the men are supposed to act, the women are supposed to act, what place, quote unquote, or the role that they play, and what you see then. So, how do you break that? If that's all you knew, if that's what you grew up seeing, hearing, watching, uh, feeling, or experiencing, how do you, one, become aware of it if you don't know any different? And two, how do you break that for yourself if that's mm -hmm. what you have been doing all your life or have known all your life? Yeah. Um, well, it is a, a very lifelong unlearning process, right? And I think that that's a part of the healing journey that people really need to commit to, that it's not just, you know, you're, you're going to kind of undo and unlearn a lot of these things within, let's say, three months time, but that it's going to be an ongoing process where you're going to have to really look within yourself to see how have you been socialized to, let's say, be racist, or how have you been socialized to, um, you know, uh, instill violence upon your partner because domestic violence and domestic disputes have mm -hmm. been normalized socially and within your home. So like, it's it's a lot about how a person can individually, one, individually, I'll say, unlearn those pieces, but also learn them in community. Because the, the more that we learn with other individuals, the more that we have almost like a, a, a mirror to our experiences and, yeah. an exp sorry, and an experience that we can actually, you know, um, uh, have, have some sort of a reflection of what else needs to be unlearned. You know, I, I follow this guy, uh, Jay Barnett. I think his social media is King Jay Barnett. Yes. yes. Uh, and um, 
and he's going to be on the show too. And, we're, and I was just like getting all the prep stuff and about to talk to him. And I was just watching the work he does in the male black community. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. only for men. He does not allow women in this, in his seminars with other feeling men creating the atmosphere of you're a black. You can feel, you can have emotions. Mm-hmm. You are safe. And mm-hmm. I, and I work with someone who comes from that background and like I ask a little question and all of a sudden he just cries because he's so ready, but has been taught to never don't do that with other people. You keep that in the house and even in the household, don't even do it. Right. And it's just so amazing. The power that we have as therapists and mental health professionals to open people's eyes to what is considered quote unquote normal as a human. And it's such a privilege to be able to help people do that. I want to touch on quickly in the last couple of minutes about how generational trauma really impacts how we interact with other people. Because we're in a world today where we're interacting in different ways than we ever have before. Good, bad, ugly. I'm not talking about that. Whether it's through social media, whether it's through um, our communities and the world that we live in, how does that line of it, generational trauma impact how we deal with the people in our lives? I love your question, and I'm having a barking dog moment. All good. <laughs> Can I pause for like one second? You I can think pause I to... for as many seconds. You want me to pause the recording? Um, if you wish, unless you want to edit it out. <laughs> I'll edit it. I'll edit it out. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll be right don't back. Don't worry. I'm Do so your sorry thing. Don't worry. Don't worry. Beautiful. So you were asking about generationally how it impacts um, our day-to-day interactions and like. Yeah. With people and how, how we kind of, how that truly does impact and why it needs to be something that we lurk, work through and figure out. A lot of the reasons why we are you know, in this generation, like I really believe that we have a cycle breaking generation and where we need to be committed to that, that work is a lot because we deserve it, right? Like we deserve to no longer be in these experiences where unconsciously we're just living lives that are suppressed and oppressed, right? Um, We deserve that for just a greater liberation of like all of us liberation from these oppressive systems, but also liberation from the emotional pain that has been stuck in our lineage for such a long time. And in our day-to-day interactions, it's, it's so nuanced. It shows up as a lot of trauma responses, right? Like a lot of the trauma responses that we tend to talk about when we're talking about trauma proper, only that when we start looking at a person's lineage, maybe a person's mother used to shut down in the very same ways that that person shuts down. And their grandmother used to do the very same thing whenever they experienced stress or they experienced trauma, they would shut down. And so to what extent can we help the person that is living in this generation to be more embodied safely in their own body so that they don't feel like they have to go into that full shutdown mode, but that they mm-hmm. can be present and, um, and not enter that trauma response. So, um, a lot of the work, um, that we deserve and that a lot of us desire to do 
is the work that's actually going to shift us from being in those ongoing trauma responses. Um, yeah. So it's okay to tell someone you're just like your mother then. <laughs> don't do that in relationships don't do that I'm just kidding we <laughs> we probably that's tricky territory yes <laughs> unless you're using it as a clinician as an intervention and that might yeah, actually bring not, some good not insight not to your spouse or partner like you're just like your father you're just like <gasps> right it's the worst oh. thing but it could be true but it could be trauma generational trauma but like not good timing everyone be very careful <laughs> Um, I, you know, and even the delivery also matters. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the, in the last couple of questions, uh, I, you know, I love your spill the tea. Uh, first of all, what's your favorite tea? Uh, Queen of tarts is right now. Oh, I, I oh, drink it every day, every single day. I, I was the so fact close that it's actually collaborating tart. With them. I was so close yeah. to collaborating with David's tea. <laughs> so close. So good. So, so good. Um, However, I I really love this uh, tea concoction, let's call it, that my grandmother used to make. And I had my, my mother was making it not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago. And I smelled it and I was like, mom, this is lemongrass. And she speaks mostly Spanish. So she's like, it's limoncillo. And she kept saying that. And I'm like, what is limoncillo? And when I smelled it, I was like, it's lemongrass. And lemongrass is... My favorite scent. I love lemongrass anything. Candles, lemongrass bar soaps, lemongrass everything. It's, it, there's something about it that just feels so soothing to me. And it made a lot of sense because she may, she mentioned to me that when she was little, her mother used to actually make lemongrass tea. And, and that's something that was generationally in my family. But I've mm. never, I never knew it until then and so i started making lemongrass tea she has a little dash of honey it's incredibly delicious and it makes me feel very connected to my grandmother who's now an ancestor well i gotta send you some then um yeah. and just the last like a uh, question is mm-hmm. let's spill the tea a little bit what are like two one to three things that you can if no one listens to anything else of this episode, when it comes to trauma healing and compassion for self, what are some of those things that you wish someone could hear or have, has never heard before that they can hear today? Mm. Oh my goodness. I love this question. Um, that you can and will get to a better place. I think trauma inhibits that truth. It makes us feel like it's not going to get any better. And it can. Um, so I just want to remind people of that. Like it can. Just hold on to that. Um, even in the hard times, the times when it's everything looks so dark and it's hard to even get out of bed, it can and it will get better. So, mm. yeah. Super important to hear that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for, for coming on. I want to give you an opportunity to preach a little bit about some of the cool things that you're getting involved in. You know, you have a book coming mm-hmm. out. You have this awesome course. So can you mm-hmm. tell people where to find all the information and what are some of the cool things that are coming their way from you? Yes, absolutely. So, oh my goodness, I'm one busy person right now. So people can head to drmarielbouquet.com and pretty much find everything that I'm doing. Um, But I do have the Break the Cycle book coming out on generational trauma. That's going to be a very comprehensive healing tool um, for people that really want to dive into this work in a more in-depth way. 
And also I am going to be putting out a number of different courses that are going to be focused on trauma, healing trauma, generational trauma, and relationships um, after traumatic experiences. And I'm hoping that uh, people feel inclined to join me on the journey of learning. I love that. Thank you so much for showing up today. Mm -hmm. It was such an honor to talk to you and such a pleasure. Uh, Hopefully this is just the beginning and I cannot wait to see all the stuff that you're going to create. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a joy being with you. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week and see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast because we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.